the sections of the parasha, the, fifth, the sixth and seventh aliot, sixth and seventh readings. So today is Friday, July 16th, 2021. This is Daily Power Parsha. And it is the Torah portion of Devarim this week. So let's begin. I'm going to share my screen with Yah. And let's get this going. All right, here we go. Sixth reading. Again, I'm going to say this until you are sick of me saying this, and then I will say it some more. This, the context of this entire book, the end of the 40 years of wandering, the end of the journey, last few weeks of Moses' life. He's speaking to the people, reminding them of the distant past as well as the not-so-distant past. He's reminding them of things that happened 40 years ago with the exodus and the aftermath. And he's also reminding them of what happened in the last few months. And Moses continues speaking to the people, recalling what just happened. And the Lord said to me, this was not that long before. Behold, I have begun to deliver Sichon and his land before you. Begin to drive him out that you may inherit his land. Then Sichon went forth towards us, he and all his people, to war at Yatzah. And the Lord our God delivered him to us, and we smote him and his sons and all his people, and we conquered all his cities at that time, and utterly destroyed every city, the men, women, and young children. We left over no survivor. Okay, only the cattle we took for a prey unto ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we had taken. From Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley, even to, unto Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God delivered us all before us. Only to the land of the children of Ammon you came not near all the side of the river Yabok and the cities of the hill country and wherever the Lord our God commanded us. So, what Moses is saying is, we have recent experience that shows us that when Hashem is with us, we can do anything we can conquer. Remember, Moses is instructing the generation that will be tasked with conquering the land of Israel and turning the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan, into the land to Eretz Yisrael, to the Holy Land. That's going to be this generation's mission. That is their task, to go in, fight the battles, wage the wars, and conquer the land. Forty years prior, their parents were afraid to do that. They were afraid of conflict. They were afraid of war. They were afraid of going to battle. Moses is saying, but you guys are different. You're the next generation. Right? Moses started this discussion by recalling what happened four years prior and the fear and the wandering. But now he's saying, look what happened just now. Look what happened in the last few months. Maybe six months, maybe 12 months. We went and we fought these battles and God was with us and we were successful. What's the upshot? Why is he telling some, them something they know? They know. They, they, they lived through this. That was this generation. It just happened. Why is he reminding them? To show them to demonstrate to them, to remind them that when Hashem is with you, you have nothing to worry about. Even the most formidable foe falls when God is at your side. Let's continue with chapter 3 of Deuteronomy. Then we turned after the war with Sichon. We turned and went up the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came toward us, he and all his people, to war at Edre. Now, let me remind you, Og was the giant. We spoke about him not that long ago. Og was the giant. He 
was saved um, at the time of the flood. He was very old. He was around the time of the flood. He was the one who told Abraham about his nephew Lot being held captive when there was a war going on, whatever it is. The bottom line is Og was a mighty, fear, um, awesome, fear, fear, fearsome warrior and king. And the Lord said to me, says Moses, to the people, the Lord said to me at that time, do not fear him. For I've given him all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Sichon, king of the Amorites who dwelled in Cheshbon. We just read about what happened to Sichon, right? We just read. We conquered the cities, etc. Right? That's what happened to Sichon. So God says to Moses, now that you're approaching a new nation, Bashan, and a king, Og, who's a giant, do not be afraid. You got this. And that's what happened. Moses, again, is recalling the, the recent past. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands also Og, the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we smote him, and to no remnant remained of him. And we conquered all his cities at that time. There was not a town that we did not take from them. Sixty cities. All the territory of Aragob, the king of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, double doors, and bolts, in addition to a great many unwalled city, cities. And we utterly destroyed them as we did to Sichon, king of Cheshbon, utterly destroying every city, the men, the women, and the young children. But all the beasts and the spoils of the cities, we took a spoil for ourselves. Okay, I want to pause again and just, I'm going to repeat myself. I just said it before, I'm going to say it again. Why is Moses referencing the cities being fortified? The high walls the double doors, the bolts. Why is he saying this? He's telling the people, you just live through miracles. You are living through miraculous times. You went against enemies that should have wiped the floor with you. They should have just squashed you like a bug. And you defeated them. With their high walls, with their double doors, with their bolts, with the fact that it's their cities, their countries, the king is a giant, they have their own, their own armies, and you decimated them. Why? Because you're so talented? Because you're so mighty? Because you're so smart? No. I mean, maybe also, but no, because Hashem is with you. And the unspoken point here is, I think it's kind of spoken, but you know, I'll, that's why I'm here, right? to kind of emphasize certain things. The point here is, when I pass away, says Moses, and you're going to go across the river, the, right here, there's a river in front of us. You're going to cross that Jordan into the land of Israel, and you're going to face enemies, and you're going to want to run the other direction as fast as you can? Don't. Hashem is with you. You've seen how the miracles play out. You've seen it. It's, it's, it's incomparable. Incomparable. Between telling somebody that you can do, I believe in you, you can do it, and they've never done it before, versus saying, you've done it before, you can do it again. Or it's been done before, it can be done, it can be done again. Hashem has, was just with you. You've seen it. We were all together in this. It's going to happen again. No reason to fear. Let's continue. Rabbi? Yes. Rabbi? Yes. It makes me think, you know, sometimes there's a stereotype that Jews are meek. Yeah. And powerless and right you know so this is complete no we're not and then also modern day israel proves that too correct correct but this is clearly 
leaning, if you will, on God's direction, right? This is clearly not us who did it with our own military expertise, but with, with Hashem's hand. And I think that we also need to remember that even in modern day, in, in modern times, in modern day Israel. Yeah, you know, sure, it, it, Israeli army and the Air Force and everything is, is, is you know, the ingenuity and, and the technology and you know, the bravery and the courage and the, just the tenacity is, is there, not to take away from anybody. Why would anybody take away from anybody? That, that would be r- ridiculous. But to add another piece, that Hashem is ultimately um, the one who is leading us and guiding us to victory, along those lines, I just remembered and I think you remember also. Remember the guy, the Iron Dome guy? Do you remember that conversation? The guy who like designed the technology of the Iron Dome, the missile protect and protection system that, that, that covers that Israel. Hanukkah, I believe that was from Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It was a Saturday night on Hanukkah, yes. It was Saturday night from Israel. It was like 6 a.m. by him, 5 a.m. or 4 a.m., whatever it was. No, it was 8 p.m. by us. Yeah, it was like the middle of the night, 4, 4 o'clock in the morning, 3, 4 in the morning. And he went and he spoke about the Iron Dome. He was hilarious. Probably helps at that time of night. He was hilarious. And, and um, he spoke about how, yeah, all the technology. He's one of the guys. He's a, sci- he's a rocket scientist. He's one of the guys that designed the, the missile defense system. He's like, the fact that it's 95% um, effective does not make sense. It's a miracle. There's, God is involved here. That's what he says. He's like the scientist. And he's saying God is involved. That, it's important. As a Jew, we got we to believe that, right? Especially when we see it. We got to believe it always that God's involved, but especially when we see it, black and white. Let's continue. Um, uh, okay, here we go, verse 8. At that time, we took the land out of the hands of the two kings of the Amorites, who were on that side of the Jordan, from the brook of Arnon to Mount Hermon, or Hermon. The, city, the Sidonians call Hermon, Syrian, and the Amorites call it Sinir. Now, you might be wondering, why do we need to know what different nations call different cities? All right, it's part of Torah. So we got to, I'm sure there's a message there somewhere. I'm sure there are commentaries that explain a deeper meaning of it. Um, all the cities of the plain and all Gilead and all Bashan to Salcha and Edre, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. What, why are we mentioning all these places? The Jews captured all those places. For only Og, king of Bashan, was left from the remnant of the Rephaim. Originally. I mean, they killed Og, but Og was the only one from the remnant of these giants. His bedstead, just so you know how big he was, his bed was made of iron. You know why his bed was made of iron? Because he was a giant. And he would break any other material. Is it not in Rabbah of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was its length and four cubits its breadth, according to the cubit of a man. Nine cubits, every cubit is approximately 18 to 24 inches. So it's in that range. So figure nine cubits, let's do nine times 1.5. That is 4.5. So 13.5 feet was his bed. And six feet its width. Okay. He He was a big man. He was a giant. Um, okay, so, and, and still we defeated him. And this land which we possessed at that time from Aurora, which is by the brook of Arnon and half of Mount Gilead and its cities, in other words, that territory, this what we're talking about right now, all this, these victories, these recent victories and the land that they acquired, all of the territory of Aragorn, all of this, 
That is called, uh, so, no, wrong verse. Verse 12, what happened to this land? I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. You remember this. This just happened last week, two weeks ago, right in the Torah portions, where Reuben and God, they requested the land east of the Jordan River. What kind of land? How'd they get the land? They got the land in these wars. They fought these wars. They were victorious. They got these places. And he gave them, Moses says, I gave them, as you might remember, like last week, I gave them to Reuben and to God and to half of Manasseh. And the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, kingdom of Og, oh, here we go, I gave to the half tribe of Manasseh. All the territory of Argov, all of Bashan, that is called the land of Rephaim. Listen, honestly, if, we're really, if we really wanted to know exactly where these places were, we would need a map. I don't have a map, so we're just going to have to go based on, based on a, quick, a quick reading of this. Essentially, Lots of land was conquered then by the Jewish people. This is outside of Israel, and that was given to Reuben, God, and half of Manasseh. Yair, the son of Manasseh, took all the territory of Argob to the boundaries of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and he called them, even Bashan, after his own name, villages of Yair to this day. It's called Chavot Yair, villages of Yair. Why? Because Yair was the son of Manasseh. He was the guy Right, half of Manasseh got this land. Well, Yair, from the tribe of Manasseh, he took this territory. He was the one who conquered, and therefore those villages in that area that he conquered himself are called the villagers, the villages of Yair. Again, my takeaway from all of this is look at God's reputation and don't be afraid. Which, by the way, has a very powerful, I think, application for us in our own lives. And what is that? Did Hashem take care of you yesterday? You survived? Good. Have every faith that He's going to take care of you today. Right? You had enough to eat yesterday? Good. Don't worry about today. You got, Hashem's got this. In other words, if we could strengthen our faith, and I mentioned maybe in DPP, maybe in another class, the word amuna, which means faith, also means training. It's about training. Getting, right? It's doing the reps of training to really ingrain something a skill of value quality in our lives, this is training. Faith is training. Faith means every day I appreciate that this victory or this success has been blessed to me by Hashem, has been given to me by Hashem. The ability that I have to do this X, Y, and Z, the, the, the health that I have, the breath that I take, the money that I enjoy, etc., the food that I eat, it's all coming from Hashem. Yeah, through also my efforts, of course. The Jews also had to fight the battles on the ground. But Hashem ultimately gave the blessing of success. The fact that you and I are breathing right now, it's due to our own skill and health? Sure, partially. I don't know, skill. Our own health? Sure. But is it also due to Hashem? Could we acknowledge that, that life is a gift from God? Sure. So what, this, what the upshot for us then is just, it's not only the big moments, the big scary moments where it's like, well, Hashem has shown His you know, his track record so he can take you through this also, but it's really every day, the everyday blessings. Every day, no need to panic. There's so much anxiety in the world. So much anxiety. And anxiety is rooted in a sense of, you know, like, what's going to happen? Is it going to be okay? Anxiety is really not being, you know, firmly planted. I don't mean planted, literally. I mean, but like having a sense of, like, assurance that, yes, this is going to be okay. This is going to work out. Grounded. grounded, right. It's a lack of groundedness, right? And, and that's where anxiety comes from. I'm, I'm not diagnosing anxiety on a, on a you know, clinical level, but the everyday anxieties, the worries, the concerns, it's about, it's a rootlessness. It's, a, it's, it's not being grounded properly. 
There's no magic solution, but one way to achieve better groundedness is to be more grounded is to, is to um, strengthen our faith in Hashem. And one way to strengthen our faith in Hashem, because if you know that everything is going to be okay, if you know that everything is purposeful and intentional and grounded, it helps with the anxiety. One way to strengthen our faith in God is to look at past performance. God took care of me yesterday? Good. He took care of me the day before? Good. And the day before? Sure. And for all these years, I'm still here? Yes. So why should I be so worried? Hashem's got this. Hashem's got this. If it's up to me, I might be in trouble. If it's up to Hashem, I think we're, we're, in, a, we're in a better place. All right, that's my takeaway from reading six. Let's go on to reading number seven. This is going to be the final reading of our parasha of our Torah portion. Deuteronomy chapter three, verse number 15. Okay, it's not that long. It's just a few verses. And to Machir, I gave Gilead. And to the Reubenites and to the, and to the Gadites, I gave from Gilead to the brook of Arnon in the midst of the brook and the border until the book, the brook, <laughs> not the book, the brook of Jabok or Yabok, which is the boundary of the children of Ammon, the plain, the Jordan, and the border thereof from Kinneret to the sea of the plain of the Sea of Salt, Yam HaMelech, that's a dead sea, under the waterfalls of Pisgah eastward. So Moses is saying that I gave these tribes, these specific families within these tribes, I gave them these territories to live because they requested it. And I commanded you at that time saying, Moses is speaking to the people, right? And I commanded you at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. Pass over armed before your brothers, the children of Israel, all who are warriors. Oh, one second. Moses right here reiterates the deal. Remember the deal? I'm going to give this land to Reuben and God and half of Menashe. But the deal is you can take the land, but you have to go fight with your brothers across the border in Israel. So that's exactly what Moses is repeating. Again, this just happened. But Moses is recalling it. And I command you at that time, at that recent time, saying the Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. Passover armed before your brothers. I'm going to give you a, a deeper explanation of that word Passover. Um, in the Hebrew, it's one word, ta'avoru. It's not Passover like Pesach, but it's translation is the same. Passover armed before your brothers, the children of Israel, all who are warriors. But your wife, So in other words, you, the soldiers should go to the front lines, into Israel, into Canaan, into Israel. But your wives, your young children, your cattle... For I know that you have much cattle, right? Because you told me, shall dwell in your cities, which I have given you. So you can leave the family, the mishpacha, the wives and the children and the cattle and the, and the possessions. You can leave everyone behind. But you guys have to go fight until the Lord has given rest to your brothers. That's how long you have to fight. You have to be in the front lines until everyone else is settled. Just as he did for you and until they all possess they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them on the other side of the Jordan. Then every man shall return to his possession, which I have given to you. Honestly, this deal, this, um, this, um, yeah, this deal, negotiation, whatever you want to call it, we've already read it. We read it last week. It was an elaborate discussion. They requested the land. Moses said, no, you crazy. They said, no, let's explain. All right, this was the deal. But Moses re reiterates the deal, reiterates the covenant. But in reiterating it, some interesting ideas come up, like Passover. What's the Passover? Let's, let me toggle Rashi here for a moment, and I think Rashi 
might give us a beautiful... It's also comforting for Moses, right? To just to reiterate, to relive his... Yeah, sure. Especially the good times, right? Especially the victories. <laughs> right. So take a Not look. Not the golden calf. Well, he does also at some point. He goes back to the golden calf. It's, it's not in chronological order. It's in order of how Moses presents it to the people at the end of his life. But it's not in the chronological order of exactly the events that happened. He, does, he doesn't say, let me tell you what happened from day one and go through it. He just, you know, it's, he's... Talking. Now, let me, let, let's look at Rashi in verse 18. And I commanded you, Moses says, he was addressing the sons of Reuben and the sons of God in making this deal. So he said, what's the deal? You can, the families can settle here, but you need to pass over armed before your brothers, etc. What does that mean, Passover? So Rashi says, they would go in front of the other Israelites to battle. So these tribes would be in the front lines because they were mighty. And the enemies would fall before them as it is said of God, he tears the arm together with the crown. So they were so mighty, they were so powerful that their very presence would instill fear in the enemy and the enemy would run away or they would fall before them, surrender or, or whatever it is because they were so powerful. This is what it means, Passover. It means even, you won't even have to use the arms. You won't even have to use the weapons. You just have to walk, you just have to walk through the land and, 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 and the enemies will fall. That's how, you see how straightforward this is. There's no, there's no Rashi even in the last four verses here. Um, so, so what's the message? The message is, wait, did I share, am I sharing my screen or not? I'm not sure. You guys have to tell me this. You guys, come on, let me know. Let me know that I'm... Uh, I pulled up You got it. I'm sorry. I'm like going on on this whole thing and you guys are not even seeing what I'm talking about. Because I, I wanted to stop sharing for a moment and, and look at you all. And then I realized I'm already looking I'll at you all. I'll, I'll point it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, please do. Please do. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You guys must have thought I'm, I'm, I'm a little mashuga here. Anyway, I don't know where, I don't know where you stop being able to see. The first, the new chapter. Okay, so in the new chapter, essentially, what's going on is Moses reiterating the deal that he made with those tribes. To, if they want to settle this land, they're going to have to go. And look, the word here that I wanted to show is Passover armed before your brothers. Passover armed before your brothers means you just have to go in com with confidence and the enemy is going to fall. You won't even have to use the arms. You won't have to use the weapons. Just pass through. Just walk through and everyone's going to fall. Um, and you have to do that until the Lord has given rest to your brothers. Right, you have to be at the front lines. Hey, Centurion, good to see you. Welcome. You have to be at the front lines until everybody else finds rest. You don't find rest until they find rest. And then every man shall return to his possession, which I have given to you. And this is also, this is also a powerful message, contemporary message. And that is, how can we really rest and be complacent and be satisfied in life and be happy and be tranquil, etc., as long as, long as our brothers and sisters are not settled, are not happy, are not, are not where they need to be. In other words, I'll tell you a story. It's a, it's, a, it's a horrific story. The previous Rebbe, I'm going to stop sharing again. Let's see if I remember next time to pull it back. The previous Rebbe was arrested in 1927, I want to say, for his in Russia, for his activities in the former Soviet Union, for his activities in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism. He had a whole underground network of 
yeshivas and, and all, the whole deal. And they didn't, the communists didn't like it, and so they arrested him. And they wanted him to talk and give up the names of the network. They wanted him to, they wanted to rest and shut everything down. And he would not, did not speak at all. Did not reveal a drop of information. Nothing. They were beating him. And one of the guards told him, we know this because the previous Rebbe wrote the entire story in his memoirs. One of the guards told him, I love beating prisoners so much that, what, that if I'm drinking tea while I'm beating the prisoners, I don't need to put honey in my tea. That's what he said. That's the expression, how he wanted to phrase it. Right? It's so, I so enjoy the, the, the beating of the prisoners that I don't need to put uh, um, uh, uh, honey in my tea. Because it's... That's a guy who derives pleasure from someone else's harm. It's horrible. It's horrific. Right? Obviously. The Torah is... And Moshe, Moses is in trying to train us the opposite direction. That we shouldn't be able to enjoy our tea that has sugar as long as a brother is suffering. That even if for us it is sweet, but it should be bitter. It should taste bitter as long as someone else is suffering. So as long as your, bre- your brethren, fellow tribes, are not settled in the land, in their land, how can you settle in yours? How can you sleep well at night, sleep peacefully at night, knowing that your mishpacha, that your family, distant family, whatever it is, doesn't have a place to sleep? You can't sleep if the other can't sleep. How could you sleep? Reminds me of another story. A story that the great chassid, Remendel Futterfass, told once. So when he was, he was a guy who was, uh, he was part of the Russian underground, the network, and he was arrested. He was thrown in Siberia. He spent, I don't know, 10 years there in Siberia, maybe more, a decade or plus in, in Siberia. He survived. Eventually he, he emigrated Israel, England. He spent time in America, traveled at least, whatever. So Remendel told a story when he was a kid back in Russia course that's where Chabad is from and the kids used to bring um, you know there were there were no pencils you know pencils or pens they didn't have that so they had um, like uh, fountain pens and um, and like an inkwell or like a bottle of ink they used to dip the the pen or whatever in the bottle of ink and, and write so one day before school started one of the kids in the class realized he forgot to bring his ink, his ink bottle, his ink water to school. So he's asking, he asked a friend, can I borrow some ink? He says, no, you can't borrow my ink. You'll you remember for next time, yeah, you don't, don't forget your ink. Okay, right then the class began. And the teacher was teaching, this was, these are very young kids. So the teacher was teaching them the Aleph Bet, how to read Hebrew. Like, you know, lesson one, Aleph Bet. So the teacher puts the letters up, the first several letters up on the board and, call, and says, all right, let's, let's practice what we learned yesterday. Let's practice the letters. 
He says, all right, um, I'd like to call up, uh, he calls up the kid who refused to give the ink to his friend. He calls up that kid to read the letters. He, say, he points to the first letter, Aleph. He says, what's this? The kid says, Aleph. He says, no, you're wrong. Points to the next letter. What's that? Bet, you're wrong. Gimel, you're wrong. He's like, the teacher says, you know what? You know what this is? Aleph is when your friend asks to borrow ink, you give it to him. Bet is when it bet is when your friend asks for ink, you give it to him. Gimel is when your friend asks for ink, you give it to him. It's not Aleph Bet Gimel. Aleph Bet Gimel is the ABCs of Judaism are right when somebody is in need, you can't fold your arms and say it's not my problem. It's your problem. That's cruel. That's cruelty. Cruelty is to say, I'm fine. I don't care that you have a problem. It's not my problem. You deal with it. You figure it out. I'm, I'm, fi I'm fine with my own life. That's not, it's not Jewish. It's not the Jewish way. So Moshe, Moses tells the tribes of Reuben and God, and again, we, we did this story at length a few weeks ago, last week, whatever. Moses tells these tribes, you can't settle this land and say, you guys go in, but we're going to live large. We're, we're enjoying life. No, you're at the front lines. You're not going to be settled until everyone else is settled. Not a punishment, but it's a sensitivity. How can you sleep peacefully at night when your brother can't sleep peacefully at night? We call this, there's a word for this. It's called empathy, right? Empathy means feeling the way someone else feels. We live in a world that, that I think lacks empathy. On a, on a very strong level. I don't, I don't want to blame any the world, whatever. We, it, it, empathy is a challenge. It's probably always been a challenge, I'm sure. But Judaism has a very clear take on this. We need to feel how the other feels. And we need to help the other when they're, when they, when they're in need. Rabbi? We cannot just enjoy our ink. We have to share it. Yeah, Donna. My father was a criminal defense attorney. Wow. Yeah, and that's what you know. I admired about him. He treated every person he represented as if, if his own line, right. life was on the line. And, you know, criminal right. defense, I mean, they go into jail. You know? Everything, everything, yeah. So, wow. And even, yeah, murder, you know, capital cases. So yeah. I remember, like, he would, the night, the day before, like, the final closing, you know, argument, he would be up all night. He, you know, not like the typical, you know, he'd be make, trying to do everything in his power so that, right. you know, his, his, the one person he was representing would not lose his liberty. Right, right. Powerful, powerful. Being able to really feel for the other. And as you know, because I think you took the crime and consequence course that we did, there's a very powerful Jewish take on the criminal justice system, which is very different than the way things play out. Anyway, but that's for another, another conversation. All right, see, I remember. Look at this. You see, I don't always forget. Um, let's continue. Verse 21. We're almost at the end here. And I commanded Joshua. Oh, this is Moses speaking. Moses is telling the people. And I commanded Joshua at that time saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings, Sichon and Og. 
So will, and uh, if you thought I was just making things up before, Moses says it clearly. And he's saying, this is what I told Joshua. He's telling the people, I told Joshua this. And by doing so, he's telling the people this also. Your eyes have seen what God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you will pass. Past performance is indicative of future results. Hashem has done it before. He's going to do it again. And therefore, let the anxiety go. Do not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who is fighting for you. I don't know that I could summarize it better than these two verses, because that's pretty much the point that I'm getting from this. Hashem has got you. He's always had your back. He's allowed you to be successful up until now. There's no reason to fear that he's going to drop you. He will carry you through this. He will protect you. He will guide you. This message is, is as relevant today as it was then. This is a message that the people needed to hear. Yeah, sure. God, Moses says, I told Joshua about this, but he's telling this, he's reporting, repeating this conversation. It's a private conversation they had with Joshua to the people because the people need to know this. The people need to not panic. The people need to be confident. Confidence breeds success. Who doesn't want to be successful? So what's the, what's the takeaway from this, the final readings of Devarim? Number one, we have to remember that Hashem has our back. Hashem is the one carrying us through this. This life is really, if we're being honest, a little too difficult for us to navigate alone. We need help in the form of other people, but also in the help of divine assistance. The good news is, Hashem is always ready to help. Part of this is us acknowledging where the help comes from. Gratitude to Hashem for the successes and the blessings that we have. And the confidence that indeed the success will continue, the blessings will continue. No reason to fear. Even when we encounter a setback, even when we encounter a challenge, we have to believe that it's all part of the plan. Hashem is, this is how the plan, for whatever reason, this is how it's unfolding. I thought it was going to unfold that way. It's unfolding this way. But it's still unfolding, and God is still at the helm. If you and I could really believe that, like really, 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 not, not just lip service, but if we really felt that, we would be unbreakable. We would be untouchable. We would be invincible. Not arrogant. Humble. Humbly invincible. We would be completely completely aware of God's touch, of God's reach, and we would be invincible, not because we're so strong and mighty, but because we have the infinite power of the universe standing beside us, taking us where we need to go. It doesn't let us off the hook from doing our work. It only grants us additional power and, and, and energy to do what we need to do. All right, so with this, let's go into Shabbat. As we know, the Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon. It's the Shabbat of vision. Why is it called Shabbat Chazon? What's the vision? It's a vision of, well, the Haftorah begins with Chazon Yeshayo, the vision of Isaiah. So it's called vision, so we, we um, the Shabbat, the, the Haftorah begins with Chazon, so it's Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbat of vision, Isaiah's vision of the, you know, rebuilding the temple. Destruction and then re- rebuilding. But for us, we know the Hasidic interpretation. It's called Shabbat Chazon, as Rabbi, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, a British of once taught, one of the great Hasidic masters, 
Because on this Shabbat, God Almighty shows each of us a vision of the third temple. And the Bredich of Rebbe gave a beautiful example. He said, he gave a parable. He said, there was once a father or parents who bought their, who, who had their, um, a suit, a beautiful suit made, tailored for their son, their young son. And the son was not careful with it, was playing outside, whatever, fell down or whatever, and ripped, ripped the, 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 the suit. Okay, so they made him a second suit. He ripped the second suit. They made him a third suit. But instead of giving it to them, they put it in the closet. And they said, here's the suit. When you're ready for it, you can wear it. When you're mature enough to take care of it and not rip it to shreds, you can have it. And from time to time, they show him the suit to remind him of what's waiting. The Bredichavah said, Hashem gave us one temple and we, we destroyed We couldn't take care of it properly. Gave us a second temple. Again, we didn't take care of it properly. So Hashem builds on some level spiritually the third temple. And once in a while, on this Shabbat, every year on this Shabbat, God Almighty shows us a vision of the third temple. Even if we don't see it with our eyes, our soul sees it on this Shabbat. And our soul sees it and remembers, ah, that's what we're, that's what we're working toward. There is, a, there is a destination here. Destination of Mashiach and the third temple and as we've been discussing, the resurrection of the dead, etc. That's the destination. This Shabbat makes it real because there's a vision. And so I, my blessing for all of us is that we indeed should have this vision. We indeed should be aware of this vision on some level. And it should inspire us to turn the vision into reality. There's no shortcuts. It's through hard work. It's through the efforts that we do to make this world a better place. That the world becomes a better place. A more Mashiach conducive place. And that's what we are striving for. All right, so wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Don't forget uh, the 9th of Av, the fast of Mashiach doesn't come. Before then begins at, uh, right before the conclusion of Shabbat. Check your local listings for the exact times. Um, and then we go into the, uh, the Tisha B'Av observances of the fast day. All right, uh, hopefully Mashiach will come before then. We won't need to fast We'll have the third temple. We'll see it with our physical eyes and not just in a vision, in a dream, or whatever it is, in a spiritual vision, but a physical vision. May it be so this year. Let us say, Amen. Amen. All right. Good. Great to see you all. Um, Sarah, great to see you in the, uh, in the outdoors. Olia, great to see you. Sandrine, you are in the great indoors, I think. Yes? Yes. Indoors, in okay. Oh, in the, in the great, in the, in the kitchen. Um, and Donna, it is great to see you with the jewelry representing right there on the side. I love it. Perfect. All right. Everyone's, everyone's got, their, uh, got their spaces. We love it. All right. Wishing everybody a good Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. And we'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Take care, everybody. See you tomorrow. Yes. Bye -bye. Please, God. See you. Bye-bye.